millions of people have lost weight with personalized plans from Noom, like Evan, who can't stand salads and still lost 50 pounds. Salads generally for most people are the easy button, right? For me, that wasn't an option. I never really was a salad guy. That's just not who I am. But Noom worked for me. Get your personalized plan today at Noom.com. Real Noom user compensated to provide their story. In four weeks, the typical Noom user can expect to lose one to two pounds per week. Individual results may vary. Hold up. What was that? Boring. No flavor. That was as bad as those leftovers you ate all week. Kiki Palmer here, and it's time to say hello to something fresh and guilt-free. Hello Fresh. Jazz up dinner with pecan-crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Now that's music to my mouth. Hello Fresh. Let's get this dinner party started. Discover all the delicious possibilities at hellofresh.com. Welcome to the Full Throttle Bikes podcast here at Eurosport. A real sense of excitement this week because we have joining us the great Carl Fogarty himself. The man whose record could be exceeded by Jonathan Ray if the form book is anything to go by at the Brno circuit in the Czech Republic this weekend. All of the live coverage on Eurosport and the Eurosport player. Will Jonathan Ray become the first man in history to take a 60th race victory in the World Superbike Championship. Can't wait to find out. What about Foggy's opinion then? Is he happy to see the record go or is he not? Carl Fogarty is Mr. World Superbike. The Blackburn rider took titles in 1994, 95, 98 and 99. Took pole position on 21 occasions, 109 podium finishes and 59 race victories, which is still joint equal with Jonathan Ray for the record, despite not having raced in the championship for almost two decades. He was a household name. He went into, I'm a celebrity, get me out of here. And he won. And he's done so much for the World Superbike Championship over the years. We were recently at Donington Park where he celebrated his first race victory back in 1992. And although he'd love to return these days, he's not going to be doing a Troy Bayliss as he reveals in our upcoming interview. Carl Fogarty is with us on the Full Throttle Bikes podcast. So, Foggy, great to have you with us. Thanks for joining us for the podcast this week. So, I guess this could be the weekend now, Carl. Jonathan's getting closer and closer. He's equal to your 59. Do you think he's going to do it this weekend? Yeah, I mean, I expect him to do it the last weekend, really. Um, keeping me hanging on a little bit. But it would have been quite, I think it would have been quite good, actually, in a lot of ways. Had he, had he done it at uh, Donington, um, obviously, it was where I had my very first win. Uh, obviously got a, a corner named after me there as well, so it would have been nice for it to, to have been there, really. But um, yeah, it's only a matter of time, so um, it's keeping me hanging on a little. But uh, yeah, fair play to him, all good. What do you think, Carl, of what he's actually done over the last few years? Because it's amazing if you just go back by three years, he hadn't yet won a title. Now he's on three, he's closing in on four. It's unbelievable, almost, isn't it? Yeah, he's a, he's a great talent, Jonathan. I've been saying that for quite a lot of years, really, even when he was on the Honda. Um, you know, you just got to go through the process of getting get the experience and, and getting get the right team around you, the right bike around you. So that's why he's been strong. You can't, I always said, if one of the three things are missing, then you can't win anything, no matter how good you are. Um, the team, the team, the bike and the rider, yeah. and all three are, are, are bang on for him right now. Um, so, you know, he wants to keep that together. I mean, I, I did the same thing in some ways. Everything was 
perfect. I don't, you know, I went to broke up a winning team, which is something I was I was a bit stupid to do. Really, it cost me a few world titles. I, I think he's a bit more intelligent than I. I mean, he won't do that. I think he, he knows that, um, you know, he needs a good team, a good buyer to for him to to win races. And uh, over the last three years, he's finally got that. And uh, yeah, he's been pretty much dominant to be honest. His consistency is incredible for me. He really is. Some other guys, you know, might beat him now and again, but then the week after. They're not there, you know, and that's that's the thing that wins your championships and makes you dominant. Is if you don't win, you're backing up with seconds and thirds all the time, and he uh, very, very rarely makes mistakes. Yeah, I was just about to say the same thing because even on a bad weekend for him, he's still on the podium, isn't he? Or he's had a win and a second, whereas others might have a win and a sixth or a win and a seventh. That's just not going to win you a title, is it? No, I've said it say all, all along. You know, it's, 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 if you don't win races, you've got to you've got to finish to win championships. You know, to win to you know, be world champion, and um, yeah, if you, you know, if you, if you can't win, and finishing second or third is, is what he does, um, and doesn't finish, you know, in the in the gravel, which I guess some of the others do sometimes, pushing too hard. Um, but yeah, it's, it's it's consistency wins your championships, and uh, it's like I say, that's probably his strongest point, really. I think his consistency is incredible. Yeah, and he seems to be able to adapt very quickly, doesn't he? Like all the greats to changeable situations and the new rules this year. Uh, it's damage limitation, but he seems to put it off almost every single time. Yeah, it's like, yeah, I mean, he, he, he's very professional that way. He just, wherever they throw it in, he just gets on with it, really, you know. Um, yeah, it just seems these days are always playing around with the rules and whatnot, really, in Superbike. And, you know, even, this, I still can't get made around the Saturday race, mate. I can't, I can't get used to it. I don't, I don't particularly like it at all, really. I seem to, Forget about it, and then next thing I know, it's you're on social media, and you, you get the results from Saturday's race because I forgot all about the thing, you know. So it didn't matter wherever they throw it in, but whether they make him start from ninth on the grid after he's won the first race or what, he he comes through, you know, and uh, just gets on with it in a very professional way. It's interesting you said that, Carl, because I was going to come to that, but as you've mentioned it, we'll talk about it right now. What do you make of what's happened with the championship over the last few years? The semi-reverse grid Saturday race you've just talked about the changes with the regulations. Do you think they're going in the right direction? No, not really. I don't like any of it, if I'm, if I'm, if I'm honest. Um, it's almost like people are getting penalised for, for being good, for being too fast. I don't, I don't get it. Um, I really don't. Um, yeah. You know, if someone wins the first race, right, you, you're too good now. We're going to make you start from the third row of the grid, put you in a more dangerous position to pass the guys who you're, you know, in front of you, are obviously slower than you are in the Saturday race thing. I, I don't know. I just think it's, I don't know. I, there's a lot of, Things. I mean, I'm not that involved in it obviously anymore. I'm sort of seeing from a distance, but what I do see is that I don't like really the thing to whatever they sort of come out with, whatever the new rule change. It seems to be a bit of a joke to me, to be honest. So, where do you think things change, Foggy? What do you reckon? Because I certainly think, looking back, if you look at say 2002 when MotoGP went four stroke, that was the beginning of some of the difficult times I think for World Superbikes. Even though there's been some great seasons since then, uh, including that that year with Colin and uh, and Troy Bayliss. Uh, I don't know. What do you reckon? Where when did it all really change? We had the heyday when you were racing. When did it actually change, and why? Well, I think you've hit the nail on the head. To be honest, this last great big year was 2002. You know, it was massive in the 90s. Um, people were watching the crowd, uh, you know, the TV coverage. Everything was was huge. You know, GPs kind of went stagnant for quite a few years. Really, the bikes didn't change. You know, and and then what, obviously at the end of 2002, this new series was born, and then it just hit the biggest nail in the coffin ever. Superbike, it really did. Um, you know, I don't, I don't take pleasure in saying this, but I'm, I'm just, I'm, I'm being realistic and be very honest about it. You know, the, the top three guys from 2002, the world champion, and the top two, I think, behind him, um, left. 
went to MotoGP, as, as did a lot of the teams and the manufacturers. So, you know, up until 2002, end of 2002, World Superbike was the biggest four-stroke championship in the world. And, you know, it was, it was great. But um, obviously that's now no longer the case. MotoGP is the biggest four-stroke championship in the world. So, you know, it, it's always struggled since that day, really, even though it's, you know, it's the great, yeah, you said the, the race is great. The riders are very, very talented, very, very fast. But the interest now has always been in the, the other four-stroke championship, which is MotoGP, really. So that's, that's always... You know, I hindered World Superbike and will it ever get the, to the big, you know, as big as it was back in them days. I really can't see it, to be honest. I really can't at all, unfortunately. Yeah, it's tricky, isn't it? It does make you wonder what they'll need to do. I guess the fact the championship has the same owner whose baby, without any doubt, is MotoGP. That's never going to help yeah. World Superbikes, is it? I think with the same with the same people who own MotoGP or own World Superbike, it's that's always a, a, a you know it's never gonna they're never gonna really in my opinion you know make it do anything to make it even remotely a threat to MotoGP. Really. Mm. If they had different owners to get used to, like the Flamini guys back in the day, then they might could raise their ideas to make it big, which they did. It was I mean, it was so huge, like you say, back in the day. But um, I don't know, maybe uh, maybe we'll see back and go two strokes or something like that. <laughs> <It's> <laughs> completely different. So there he goes, wow, that's different. Let's all watch this again, you know. But um, as long as you've got two championships, and, you know, both running four strokes around 1,000 cc or whatever it is, then, you know, the, the, the MotoGP one's always going to be the, the, the dominant and more bigger one, really, for sure, with it, especially with the riders in as well. I suppose what's true as well, though, Carl, I don't know whether you agree, but things do seem to go in cycles, don't they, in racing? You'll have a, a dominant era of, of superbikes doing really well. The MotoGP was a bit flat at the time. Mick Doohan was winning everything. Although it was impressive, it was the same guy pretty much winning everything. Uh, who knows? It might go the other way again. I mean, it might do. I mean, I don't know. I, I hope it does. I'm a big superbike fan, obviously, for obvious reasons. And Jonathan's, you know, he's he's making people sort of stand and sit and take notice now, really. You know, his, his profile is getting higher and higher uh, because of you know what he's achieved in World Superbike, and uh, it might do. You know, I, I don't know, but um, obviously it, it does struggle against MotoGP. But you know, like I say, you never know in the future. And uh, but yeah, the, you know, the riders and the ratings are still they're still very, very, very good. Really good. You're listening to the Full Throttle Bikes podcast here at Eurosport. Don't forget to follow all of the live coverage from Bruno in the Czech Republic this weekend, live on Eurosport and the Eurosport player. Back to Carl Fogarty then. So if we go back to Jonathan for a moment, these records he's achieving, and he's equaled you for 60 front row starts at Donington, the 60th win you would imagine is coming this weekend at Bruno. Do you think they're going to mean that much to him right now? Or is this something you look back on once you have finished racing and you think, wow, actually, we did pretty well there? I don't know. I mean, I'm not impressed with any of my records, to be honest. I think they're all rubbish. Really? really? <laughs> I don't, you know, I just, I, I don't know if Johnson's like me. I don't know. I, I always think of what I should have done, what I did. You know, it's like I won 12 out of, I think it's 12 out of 14 races at Aston. I just remember the two that I got, I got a, a lost by half a wheel. I remember them two, so... I remember, like, I should have won a lot more races than I did. I should have won more World Towns than I did. So, you know, I don't really look at my records. I think they were really, really impressive and really good. Maybe other people do. I don't know, but I don't, and I never have done, really. So, uh, yeah, it's a strange one, that. I just remember the ones I should have won. <laughs> That's a classic racist mentality. Shaky Burns says that, doesn't he? If you finish second, you want to win. If you win, you want to win by a greater margin. It seems like a race has never happened. Yeah, I mean, I'm not bothered out of what... I'll, what distance I won by as long as I won but um, yeah it, it is a funny one but it's when you know I just about got beat at Aston and no reasons for it I, I, had, I had good excuses but you know you, you can't really say, go back and say that now but 
I was really annoyed that I'd like my, you know, I'd lost a race win there when I was so dominant there because, you know, a fly hit me on the on the on the visor on the last lap is like a size of a helicopter. I couldn't bloody see a thing in the last few corners to try and get past Kashinsky and whoever it was, or Achilles, um that particular year. So it's funny how you, you yeah, I wanted that perfect record there because I was so good there. But I remember the two races that I lost and not the 14 that I won or whatever it was. So, uh, it is weird. It's like, a, a, I guess, a racer thing, really, as, uh, as we say. Yeah, of course, one of the classic ones for you, Carl, which you very much did win, was 98 when Keeley went down at the last corner. What were your memories of that? Because we've all got these memories of Keeley coming in afterwards with the <laughs> with the dressing gown on, the bathrobe on. I mean, you must have thought it was hilarious. Well, at the time, I didn't, really, I didn't even know he'd fallen off, to be honest, because I'd won the race, not the inside of the last corner. Um, but he was annoyed that I was I was weak. Because we're all on factory decanties at Killian Corsa. And, and Killian was really fast that, that day. I don't know why. Sometimes he got better engines for the factory. But just, you know, and it was it was so much faster than my bike. And But he couldn't lead the race. So I think in the first race, he just pulled that pass down the straight on the last lap. Like it was, you know, so easily. And I was like, really annoyed about that. So in the last, in the, in the second race, I thought, I'll do a bit of weaving on the, on the straight. And that's what he was annoyed about, really. Uh, I'd probably annoyed himself for crashing the... At the last corner, but yeah, it all got a bit eaten and handbags at dawn, as they say. And uh, it was, but looking back, people, it's people still run about it like, like you just said, said now. I still, still talk about it to, to, to this day, really. But at the time, it was, it was just a bit weird and bit. It was funny after, for sure, when he when he came into the dress into the press conference with a, in a blue dressing gown, drifting wet through. It was, uh, <laughs> it was a bit, all a bit bizarre. But um, yeah, happy days. It sort of reminds me in a way of the British Touring Car Championship as well in its heyday, which was the same time, the 1990s. And everyone seemed to say at the time, they sort of realised, well, you know what, we're actually making good money here. Let's, let's just keep doing what we're doing. And looking back now, seems like people, including you, seem surprised at just how big things got, actually. Yeah, I mean, you know, it made me a household name, really, in my country. You know, with the, the TV coverage of me winning World Championships and how big the series was, you know. and Yeah, it was just crazy, to be honest. I think I'm still still to stay responsible for the, the biggest ever crowd figure at a, not just a motorcycle race, I think a, a sporting event in Britain I think 120 125,000 on, on, on the race day uh, was just incredible I mean I remember and just seeing the people around the circuit and how deep it was everywhere it was just it was just completely crazy I think there's most people climbing over the fence and under the fence so I think the actual figure would have been around 130,000 probably but um it was it was just bizarre, and you know when I look back at it now, you, you kind of I think people forget how big it was really. You know the whole the summer seemed to be really good weather and the Britpop thing and Cool Britannia. It was just a, a, a crazy crazy time. I didn't really appreciate it at all at the time, but um, yeah, was, you know adverts with Sky and all sorts, and you know obviously sports personality and stuff like that. Okay, they 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 didn't give me the, the phone line thing to. Um, to win the thing in that 1999 but he was you know you're getting good mentions on all these big shows and stuff yeah that was crazy I remember watching uh, I remember <laughs> some daytime TV and you appeared on Our House uh, one year and you know, obviously you had I'm a Celebrity it, it is crazy in a way isn't it how these opportunities I seem I guess they sort of snowball don't they they just come one after the other and you sort of takes care of itself yeah it is strange I mean I, I, I don't know it's like I said I, I, I just an ordinary lad from the north of England who wanted to ride a motorbike and, and, and win races. That was it, really. But again, you know, I'm meeting famous people and they're looking up to me as, like, as a famous person. I was really uncomfortable with it already. I didn't, I was just, you know, I find it really, really difficult. Now I find it easy. You know, obviously I've done things over the last few years, as you, as you mentioned. But 
uh, back then it was it was really hard really uh, but uh, didn't, I didn't really have a manager looking after anything like that so it was um, it was all a bit um, a bit crazy when you look back at it all now but uh, it was it was good fun though so do you feel like a famous person Carl do you actually think to yourself I mean what I don't know what it's like but what does it feel like to you do you think oh I'm famous or I mean is it a bit I mean he said it was a bit daunting before how do you actually feel no I know at all I think that's I think that's you know what maybe when I did the I'm a celebrity show a few years ago I, I, I don't consider myself famous I don't consider myself a celebrity although I'm well aware to, to you know hundreds of thousands millions of other people that I am but as long as I don't believe it and I don't act in a way that the so-called famous people are meant to act then, then it's fine I think when you do the shows like I'm a celebrity and you come across as an ordinary guy from you know from me in the north of England and people like that uh, and obviously they saw a different side to me than the, what they thought they were going to see from the guy that raced bikes and it was you know very kind of angry and wanted to win and said things and all sorts back in the day which I was just my makeup as a racer to win races, really. But away from that, I think just an ordinary guy from the north of England who could ride a bike a little bit better than some of the guys at a certain time in his life. Really. That, that's it, really. And I think that's what come across. And as long as I don't believe I'm famous or I'm a celebrity, then I'll always be okay, you know. And what was it like? We should talk about the jungle a bit. What's it actually like? What are Anton Deck like? What's Edwina Curry like in real life? What's it like to be around people like that? Oh, I... I mean, it's hard to put into words that kind of show unless you've actually done it. It really is. The, the rollercoaster emotions and what you go through in there, it's ridiculous, to be honest. It's the right challenge. Well, it was for me anyway. I mean, some people might find it differently. I don't know. Anton Decker, just, just two ordinary down-to-earth guys who, who, do, who do a good job at what they do, really. And, you know, again, they don't they don't really come across to me that they consider themselves famous or anything. But I didn't see that much of them, if you, you know what I mean. When I do see them, I'm, I'm usually in my head's all over the place. It was just an amazing, amazing experience, which, you know, very few people get to do, I guess, really. And again, because motorcycle racing made me famous as a household name in the 90s and stuff, then you get, I get asked to do shows like that. I got asked to do that show, actually, about 15, 16 years ago, and I turned it down just after I retired from racing not long after. So I just come back years later and said, you know, would you do it? And it was still a massive decision for me to say yes. It really, really was. It took a lot of persuading to say yes. My wife was dead again, so the kids saying, kept wanting me to do it. So we did it, and I actually thought I'd, I'd probably be the first one out, or I'd probably walk out even before it got to vote off time, you know, but to <laughs> go a whole way and win, win probably the biggest TV show in the UK. It's still something I, I can't believe has happened, if I'm honest. Yeah, it was uh, great for, to have, have, that, have that much public support for just being yourself, I suppose, really. Yeah, it's amazing. It's amazing, though, isn't it, what you can achieve when you are just yourself and you seem to focus on what you do best. I think a lot of people who go on programmes like that aren't really... I'm not sure they even know who they are, do they? But you obviously know who you are. You're quite happy with who you are, and it seemed to pay off. Yeah, no, really. Uh, yeah, it was, I, was, I was a bit nervous in the first day or two. I think on it, I think I might have come across. I don't, I don't really know. I've not actually not watched any of it back to me, so I just um, I mean, lived it for real. I don't really want to cheat by it, but... Um, I don't know. We just, I don't know. Maybe it's motorcycle races a bit different. They just, you know, just we do what we do and, you know, just get on with it really. And as long as we don't behave like prima donnas in any way, then I think people like that and respect us because what we, we, we know with the sport we did is very, very hard. It's very, very dangerous, really. So some of the things you do in the jungle are, they are as bad as they make them out because we're never quite sure, are we, from watching at home? You know, are they just putting it on for the television? Is it really that bad? So it sounds as though at times it actually is that bad. It's very real. I mean, I knew that before I went in there. You can't, you can't lie on the British public and, and, and say, you know, they get, you get, you know, get go to a hotel in the middle of the night and they get pizza delivered. It's, it's very, very real. Even to the fact, to the point where I'm surprised that even, even water, we have to boil the water before we could drink it, which drinking boiled water in that kind of heat anyway, in, in like a plastic container, just tasted disgusting so 
It was very, very real. It really was. Um, yeah, but good. It's a really good challenge. It's, that's what the reason I went in for, to see if I could cope with the boredom, uh, with other people, um, and, um, and, and and the food situation. You know, I, I did actually cope really, really well with it all, really. And, uh, and I surprised myself, I guess, in some ways. Yeah, but um, that was a real challenge and something and, you know, it's, uh, I'll never forget, obviously. So, go on. What's it really like to be with Edwina Curry for such a, lo- a long amount of time <laughs> <laughs> in a confined she environment? Star, she was. I mean, She's such an interesting person. I mean, she's been I don't know, she's been around for two or three hundred years, I guess. But, um, you know what I mean? She just she says it as it is, and she's just got a lot of interesting stories. And I like people, you know, not just women, blokes who, who you know who speak, you know, the truth, speak their mind. And uh, she, she was like that. I, I, I did like her. I think she, she was great, really. She was. Uh, she had not always gone well. I guess we wanted to the others in there, but I, I really liked her. Brilliant. They're made for great television, that's for sure. A lot of people were happy to see it. Let's go back to the racing there. Jonathan Ray. There's all these rumours doing the rounds at the moment about possible Aprilia MotoGP move or Ducati World Superbike move. Um, first of all, when if we go back to your career, you made that switch between 95 and 96 from Ducati to Honda, which nobody really would have expected. You just won two titles with Ducati. What was what were you thinking at the time? What was the thinking behind that? You know what? Yeah, it was stupid, really. I, I wish if I one thing regret one thing is probably doing that. I, I don't know really what I did. I think maybe it was the money, which is the wrong wrong reasons for doing it for, which is stupid. For one even one of even been that much more than what Ducati were paying me anyway. I guess I think that it was my old team from the Honda Britain days, and they did the TT and stuff. It was all based in the UK, and it looked very professional. And the bike looked very very fast. The bike was very very fast, to be honest. Um, and I went and. I maybe mean, needed a new challenge in my head. I thought it did, but no, it just didn't. Nothing felt right from the day I got there. To be honest, it didn't feel like my team it never did, and I just, I just regretted it. To be honest, and it took two years again to get it back right again. So, like I said before, even like Mick Doohan back in his day, he didn't, he didn't break up a winning team, and I did that. It cost me a world title, two world titles. I would definitely won in '96 and '97 in my, in my eyes, no question about it at all in my, in my head. If I'd have stayed with the Ducati, but. I left and then went back. Everything had changed, and you know, it was a. I shouldn't have done it. Really, it was a stupid thing to do. And it, something I don't think you see, you see Jonathan doing. Really, um, he, he might, if he's learned anything from maybe my mistakes, he would. He might maybe maybe it's that that you don't break up a winning team, and he's got a great team, a great bike, and if he's going to stay in World Superbike, then I'd be surprised if he, if he brought that if he break that package up. I'd be very very surprised because uh, yeah, it's um, he doesn't always go to plan if you, if you switch teams or switch bikes as, as I found out you know well, that's interesting I was having a good chat with James Hayden about this when we were commentating at Imola earlier this season and he reckoned exactly the same as you in the sense that why would you you know if it ain't broke don't fix it but then other people say is there this argument for being greater if you win titles on two different bikes or is that a load of rubbish no it doesn't really bother me that really um, I don't, uh, winning world championships I don't care what bike I'm on really um, I mean I, I I mean, I did. I wasn't too far from the championship, to be fair. I mean, I went down to the last round of the, of the year because they'll win the championship. So, came out fourth of the four that could have won it. But, um, you know, it's still, it was seen as a disaster. But really, actually, when you go to the last round of the year, because they'll win the, mathematically still win the world championship, it wasn't really a bad year in some ways. And had I stayed with the Honda that the year after, I, probably, I do think I probably would have won the championship. But I need to make a decision for, for the last part of my career, you know what I mean, what to do. And I wanted to be back. In what was always felt my team and my bike and that suited my style of riding, I was that I was the Cassie really. So um, yeah, I mean it doesn't matter if, 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 what you're winning, as long as you're winning, really. Uh, but it is hard to, to you know for switch team. I mean, look at even like Lorenzo, it took him a couple of years to get it right, and I went on 
he finally won a race in the, on the, the weekend under the, under the Ducati in MotoGP. So it's, and Rossi struggled, really did struggle under the Ducati for two years and didn't win a race on it. So even the greats struggle, but you know, winning, break up a winning team, I don't think you know an option for anybody these days. They, sh- they shouldn't do that, really. And just quickly going back to the Honda days, I mean, the, even though you might not have felt 100% comfortable, there were some amazing races, weren't there? Remember the one at Hockenheim, the first one you won on the Honda? I mean, four, five riders down to the wire. It was unbelievable. Oh, no, it's a great race. I should have won a few more races that year as well. I messed up a couple of times with setup, but um, it's very... It's difficult to set up. Was the Ducati who seemed to work everywhere? The Honda, you get it working really good at Assen. And then the week after it was at Albacete, another circuit I really, really liked. And I was like sixth and seventh or something. It was like it's just so unpredictable to to get the the bike ready for. You have to work so hard to get the battery for Sunday every round. Was you know the Ducati seemed to work everywhere really. But uh, but yeah, like I said, it was some great races. One at um, Monza, Hockenheim. Uh, Aston. Well, oh, Aston, sorry, yeah, um, as well. Did the double there anyway. So, yeah, one more race than anybody else on Honda that year. And uh, like I said, it was a good year, really, but not quite good enough uh, by my standards, I suppose. And just like Jonathan in 2016, when again the regulations were sort of going against them at the time, but they got their way around it, they still won the title. I suppose you could say you had a similar year in 98. That was the one when you, you still won the title, but there was just, I said just, the three wins that year, weren't there? And I know you feel you could have won more, but it just proves again consistency is key. Yeah, I mean, I didn't have a good year that year. My head wasn't quite right to 1998. Um, I'd lost a bit of motivation. Um, stuff like that really um, but like you say I, I kept finishing the races and everybody else was, was as inconsistent as I was in 1998 so it, 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 there was a you know daylight you know like the end of the tunnel sort of thing I thought I could still do this and I had some harsh words from Mr. Tardotz at the time to give me a kick up the backside and get my ass into gear sort of thing and you know stop messing around and whinging about this whinging about that when it was my head it was messed up a little bit more than anything not the bite really and the the last three or four rounds, I, I got you know put it all together and got really really strong and uh, just won the championship. Like I say, by a few points really. We, we went to the last round a few points behind, but came out you know the, the world champion through doing everything right over the over that weekend really. And when others fell apart around me. And then obviously the fourth and final title came in '99. That really was a great season. 19 podiums, 11 race wins. Then we went to Phillip Island in 2000, and the accident came. What do you remember of that? I don't remember anything really. It's the only crash I've ever had, and I've no memory of. You know, you, you just see the footage, and then you think, oh, "What's happened there?" You know, why, why, why has that happened? Really, all I remember is remember, I remember having a great first race. I rode really, really well on on the wrong tyres. Um, there's only one person with the right tyres, and he won the race on the bimoke. That was Anthony Gober. <laughs> yeah, um, yes. Which was a shock. And then I finished. I kept the bike upright somehow. I finished second. And I thought, right, I'm going to win the second race now. I felt pretty fast all weekend at, at that particular meeting, and dropped the clutch on the line, it went sideways and it was a bit of a wet patch from early on in the day. Um, all I remember is that passing Anthony Gobert funnily up on the, the end of the first lap and then the next thing I remember is waking up in hospital with hel- hel- well, I remember waking up in a helicopter and in and out of consciousness and in hospital and stuff. So it was a yeah, it was a strange one. Uh, obviously a guy in front had, had an issue with his bike and he pulled off the track a little bit and his, his bike seemed to clear apparently and as he pulled back in onto the racing line, I came up, I was coming through the field really quickly and Clipped him and went off and hit the wet grass and then hit a tie wall at 120 mile an hour. And I guess I'm lucky to be here to this day, really, in, in some ways. Um, yeah, not good. <laughs> yeah, it was Robert almost not, I remember it. But it's amazing, isn't it, how many of the greats end up having their careers ending in accidents? And it's almost sort of happened with Keenan Safoglu this year as well, really, if you look back. 
Um, yeah, it just seems as though even, even the greatest can have their careers ended by accidents, can't they? Yeah, I mean, I didn't, I didn't plan on that. Obviously, um, like Mick doing that same thing with him, he, he was injured, it was Mick. So, um, yeah, I mean, it would have been nice to do, I guess, what Bailey did when he said, I'm going to retire into this year. I think he won, he won his very last race in the World Championship in the same year, and that's the way you want to go out. All I've said, that he's come back racing again now, so it's not the way he's, that would, if he just left it, that would have been great, but when you come back and start trying to do it again, I, I don't, I don't, I can't, I don't really get that to be honest. I really don't. But uh, yeah, unfortunately, it does end. You know, it could have been a lot worse. I've always said like, I'm, I'm still here now, fit and healthy, and uh, I have to be thankful for that, really. So doing a Bayless and coming back to racing is the last thing on Carl Fogarty's mind, by the sounds of it, at 52. Oh God, no, oh my God. <laughs> yeah, the, the head thing, the head kind of wants to, but the body's going absolutely no way. Oh God, I can't even sit on sofa without aching. Uh, never mind sitting on. on Coming up on a superbike, um, no, I'm all right on the still up on a trials bike or a motocross bike, but um, like that position you got to be in for them road for a superbike. It's uh, no, I can't get in that position anymore. Really, it's a bit annoying. Cause even doing parade laps and stuff and just fun stuff, I guess I kind of got to say no to it all, really, because I just you know flopped around down to. I mean, I can do a knee, you know what I mean? So it's uh, yeah, it's it's just the way the way it is now. But um, I'm all right. I'm all right for playing tennis and beating the wife anyway. Yeah, that's the main thing. Yeah, I can hear her reaction in the background there from Michaela. And just, for, just very quickly before you go, Carl, obviously we're at Bruneau this weekend, first time for World Superbikes for six years. Um, great track, isn't it? You've raced there a lot over the years. Yeah, I have, yeah. I won a few superbike races there in, uh, in 93, I think. I did, maybe just won the one, actually. But yeah, it is a great track. One of the first really super tracks I can, that was built. It was probably built in late eights or something but um, yeah fantastic circuit that very wide circuit place you can pass on so many different places really great circuit you're looking forward to seeing Jonathan come through and take that 60th oh of course I am absolutely delighted for him <laughs> <laughs> uh, he's uh, he's the top guy he's, I've got a lot of respect for him and his family everything and uh, yeah he deserves everything he's going to achieve hopefully and they can go on and win I don't know, 80, 90 races and a few more world titles. Why not? Good luck to him. So you're advising him to stay exactly where he is and go on and do another couple of titles by the sounds of it. No move. Uh, unless there's a, a real a real, a real big factory team in MotoGP, like Ducati, like say a Honda or something, then yeah, I would I would stay where I am. But unless it's a, a number one team in, in MotoGP, then I would go to that for sure and have two or three years. He should still be young enough to, to get to the front of that, really. Uh, but yeah, apart from that, I would stay if it's a superbike, I would they keep the, keep the same team really nice one my car thanks very much it's been a pleasure to chat and uh, good luck with your next tennis yeah cheers mate thanks Many thanks once again then to Carl Fogarty himself. Great to hear some of the opinions on Edwina Curry there and the rest of the gang, wasn't it, in the jungle from Foggy himself. But don't forget, World Superbikes continues this weekend live on Eurosport and the Eurosport player. The first trip to Bruno in the Czech Republic since 2012. Jonathan Ray poised to make history by becoming the first man ever in 31 years of the World Superbike Championship to cement a 60th career win. James Hayden will be commentating there alongside me, Greg Haynes. We can't wait for the action to begin, starting with live coverage of free practice on Friday morning. See you there. Hey, it's Danny Pellegrino from Everything Iconic. Ready to upgrade your style game without blowing your budget? 
Check out Quince. They've got all the good stuff, shirts and polos, activewear and fine leather goods, all at 50 to 80% less than other high-end brands. And the best part? They're all about safe, ethical and responsible manufacturing. Get that luxury vibe without the luxury price tag. Hit up quince.com slash upgrade for free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. That's quince.com slash upgrade. Ever catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row? Dreaming of something better? Well, HelloFresh is your guilt-free dream come true, baby. It's me, Kiki Palmer. Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan-crusted chicken or garlic-butter shrimp scampi. Mm. Hello Fresh. Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started. Mm-hmm. 